Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 94 of our chapter-by-chapter chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 20 of A Clash of Kings. That's Tyrion 5. And we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader communications. Be sure to check out our show notes. They'll provide you some additional information that'll be particularly handy if you're not reading along. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing just fine. How about you? Good, good. I was listening to uh, Mark Maron's podcast earlier. Not really. I don't really listen to it, but my wife does, so I sometimes overhear it. Uh-huh. And he was talking about how um, it, it kind of annoyed him when just like people with no talent or reason to have a podcast just make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was shaking my fist, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the judge whether someone has a... Exactly! <laughs> you with your millions of listeners? <laughs> <laughs> We've got our faithful handful. <laughs> we do. Uh, but it made me laugh. Yes, that is quite funny. <laughs> Not for the first time. In these 94 episodes, I seem to have had Poison Ivy multiple times. But the bloody dog has given us all Poison Ivy this time. None of us have been doing any yard work, but the dog has run through the Poison Ivy and we've all struck the dog and we've all got Poison Ivy as a result. Oh, man. So the dog rolled on Poison Ivy and then gave it to you all. She's she's perfectly fine. You you must have Poison Ivy just all over your uh, house, your yard. I, I, I think it's where I found that Poison Ivy tree last year. I think it's grown back. Okay. But it's a, it's a little bit awkward to get to. So, but she runs around underneath things and gets to it. So right. This is okay. this is the problem. But yeah. I'm I'm going to take I have taken an action item to deal with it. And and get yourself Poison Ivy again in the process. <laughs> Probably. Undoubtedly. Yes, you seem to be unable to get near Poison Ivy without somehow getting it on your skin. Yeah. So uh, I was talking to um, one of our <laughs> one of our fellow colleagues, uh, Mark, and uh, he and I were getting quite the chuckle out of what happened to him <laughs> in, our, <laughs> in our entire department town hall uh, earlier. No, it was last week. It was late last week, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, was, so it was a meeting for like 75 people. And Mark gave his bit, and he did very. He did a very good job. Yes, round of applause, Mark. I I hope you hear this and know that we thought you did a very good job. But when Mark, so all of this, of course, is virtual. We were having a Microsoft Teams live meeting, and when he finished, it was supposed to transition over to his manager, and uh, something went wrong on the transition, and so basically, Mark was left on screen for. 
<laughs> I'm sure what felt to Mark like about three hours. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> they could not could not get the camera off of him. <laughs> but he he soldiered on. He smiled and smiled and smiled. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> He was he was giving it his best. You you could definitely tell that there, that smile was not entirely genuine, though. <laughs> it started genuine, but that that quickly left. Yes. Oh, it quickly God. left as the hours went by. <laughs> we laughed with him afterwards, but man, every one of us was like there. But for the grace of God, go I. Uh, I was telling Mark that I was afraid my microphone was on because I made a comment and. The next presenter after Mark answered my comment, and I was like, "Oh, am I am I not muted?" <laughs> it just so happened that, like, the presenter said something. I, you know, just rhetorically to myself gave a reply, and then the presenter went on with like, like as if he heard me say wow, my response. Weird. I panicked because I, you know, I I was assumed I was on mute, so I wasn't exactly like yeah sitting I... quietly. <laughs> <laughs> the presenters never heard anything from the crowd. So okay, good. You're fine. <laughs> Simon was a presenter, so he would know these things. Oh, oh that oh, was funny. Laughed. That was quite it funny. Was Poor funny. Mark. Yeah. If anybody was going to weather that well, though, it would be Mark. He's got the personality to, to handle. I, I don't. I, I was thinking about that afterwards. I could not have kept the smile as long as Mark did. I mean, Mark just <laughs> painted that smile on and just was like, "I'm here until I'm not." You know, <laughs> right. I clearly would have cracked way sooner, but I think maybe I might have like done something. I might have like you know grabbed a couple of juggling balls and sort of like you know created. <laughs> I texted <laughs> created a bit of a scene. I texted Mark while he was on screen and said, "You should be trying to lip sync what the other presenter is saying right now because they kept going on with the presentation even though it's just Mark's face on the screen." <laughs> I thought it would be fun if he just tried to lip sync whatever the next presenter was saying uh, uh, anyway anyway stuff. we have got a long one today we so do. let's get down to business how did we leave Tyrion Lannister last time we saw Tyrion he was laying a trap for Pycelle, Baelish and Varys feeding each information to see what would reach Cersei's ear the various plans involved fostering and marrying Cersei's children to various nobles to cement alliances for the war. Whichever version Cersei hears about, she's not going to like it. <laughs> but Tyrion will know who the spy is. Right. McKelly, why don't we give him the summary? Okay. Tyrion visits the Guildhall of the Alchemists. Deep in its chilly bowels below the Hill of Rainies, the pyromancer Helen shows Tyrion some of the latest batch of wildfire he and his fellow brethren have been cooking up at Cersei's behest. The final product is put in jars about the size of a grapefruit. According to Helen, they've got nearly 8,000 jars, half of which are left over from the Mad King's final days. Those older jars are even more unstable than the fresh batch. Helen tells Tyrion that they're so flammable that even being placed in sunlight can cause them to ignite. So anyone handling them, especially in the heat of battle, needs to be very, very careful. 
Tyrion is both delighted and terrified at the realisation that the pyromancers might unexpectedly come through with their promise of 10,000 jars. He asks for a few thousand empty jars and Helene agrees to give him what they can spare. Helene thanks Tyrion for coming and suggests he and his fellow pyromancers be granted an audience with the king to show off some of their other wondrous and dread secrets. Talk about Tyrion all-time or- bad ideas. Yeah. Tyrion, already unnerved by Joffrey's tendency to make men fight to the death, is leery of introducing a new means of torture and torment to the young king. When Tyrion emerges from the Guildhall, he's greeted at his litter by Bronn with a pair of urgent messages. Sir Jesselyn Bywater requests his presence at the Gate of the Gods, and he's been summoned by the Queen to her chambers. Tyrion decides to let Cersei sit and stew for a bit, figuring it'll make her angry and therefore more prone to stupidity. On their way to the gate, the litter makes its way through an empty market square that would have previously been filled with farmers selling their wares. Sir Jaslyn informs Tyrion that his cousin Cleos Frey has just arrived from Riverrun with a letter from Robb Stark. Sir Cleos is looking haggard from his trek through the Riverlands. Even under a peace banner, they were still attacked twice by rogue bands of men. Tyrion reads Rob's peace demands and finds them unacceptable. He plans to send Cleos back to Riverrun with their own demands, hoping the back and forth will placate Rob while giving the new Lannister host in Lannisport time to get up and running. Before leaving the gate, Tyrion explains to Sir Jaslin that the pyromancers will be dropping off empty jars at the city gates. He instructs Sir Jaslin to fill them first with green paint, then graduate to lit lamp oil and have his men train on launching them without any spillage. Anybody who spills is thrown out. It's not to be trusted anymore. When that's mastered, they might just be ready for wildfire. As Tyrion makes his way back to the Red Keep, his litter is held up by commotion caused by a prophet ranting on the state of the world. He's surprisingly accurate in his account of the royals and other highborn lords, and tells the crowd the comet signifies a reckoning. While his litter moves on, Tyrion feels more hopeful than when he woke this morning. All he needs is time to put the pieces together. And when he finally reaches the Tower of the Hand, he's greeted in his chambers ever so lovingly by his sister, Queen Cersei. The Queen is furious, having learned that Tyrion plans to send Marcella to Dawn to be a ward of Prince Doran Martell until she's old enough to marry his son, Tristan. With that, Tyrion realizes who's informed on him to Cersei. Tyrion explains that Marcella is safer in Dawn than in King's Landing, where her head is increasingly likely to end up on a spike. At this, Cersei begins to weep. The sight stuns Tyrion. He moves to console her, but is rebuffed. The conversation takes a more civil tone, and Tyrion explains that their father's army is in good position to protect them. At Harrenhal, he keeps the two Stark armies from rejoining, keeps both from King's Landing, and can move quickly to to King's Landing should Renly's host ever bother to arrive. (laughs) Finally, he says that they're clearly winning the war, or Rob Stark wouldn't have just sued for peace. At this, Cersei snaps back into queen mode and wants to see the letter. Tyrion consents that he'll get his Dornish marriage. Uh-huh. Man, Tyrion chapters, lately especially, have just been packed with talking yeah. points and, and yeah. interesting things. Yeah, it's like it's like all of the story exposition goes on in the Tyrion one, yeah. so the, the whole thing moves along. Kind of like the way it used to in a Game of Thrones with Ned chapters. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. you know, Ned was always kind of the 
the central you figure know, you know around big is. things in the world. Yeah, it's because it's because King's Landing is the hub. You know, it's right. the what it's, it's it's your POV character in King's Landing who isn't Sansa. Right. Yes. What as long as yeah yes the children's well I mean Arya's chapters can be very. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Tense. But, the, but, but they're not. They're, they're very tense, but they're not the big story. Right. They're not the big picture. You yes, know, they they're the boots on the ground woes. picture. Yeah. 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 Now, so this, this chapter starts off Tyrion's down in the uh, guild hall of the alchemists, and it... He was told to dress warmly. It's very cold down there. Um, and he's wearing this shadow skin cloak. And just a quick reminder where that came from is uh, Marillion, the singer, took that off of a dead clansman um, while they were traveling through the Mountains of the Moon on their way to the Eyrie. And then Tyrion won it off Marillion while dicing. So that's how he ended up with that cloak of his that's way too big for him. Yeah. They're being shown around by Haleen. Um, who's, who, if you remember, was part of Cersei's retinue in the last Tyrion chapter when she was off to, a, uh, she was going to inspect the defences, right? That's yeah. where she was headed. Yeah. You call them alchemists there? Are they alchemists or pyromancers? Or is that used interchangeably? It's, yeah, it's called the Guild Hall of the Alchemists, but I, pyromancer and alchemist, I guess they use kind of interchangeably. Right, okay, okay. So the, the main thing that the uh, alchemists do... I mean, we, we perhaps would think of alchemists as being turning base metals into gold. But the main thing that the alchemists, pyromancers do in uh, Westeros is they make wildfire. This is their secret that they don't share with anyone. It's supposed to be very complicated um, and it's very precious. Thoros of Mir uses it. Remember Thoros of Mir fights with a, f- a flaming sword. Basically, he dips the sword in uh, wildfire and then sets it alight. It destroys the sword over the course of the battle, but it burns for more than an hour, so he's got time to do some damage with it. He probably might be better off actually with like a sort of like a flicking device with wildfire on it rather than a sword. Right. Yes. You know, sort of, like, <laughs> like one of those things you throw a tennis ball to a dog. <laughs> like, right. Just a bucket of wildfire. Yeah. Just flicking sort of, it. Look at a burning wildfire. Like, <laughs> That's a good point. I, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be, I mean, I'm pretty terrified of Thoros of Mir anyway. I'd be terribly terrified of him like that. Even if He'd he be did, dangerous from a distance, he could dip it in a he could dip a mace in wildfire and swing that thing around. That would, uh, yeah, shoot it out of as course, well. I guess keeping a bucket of burning wildfire in your hand during a battle <laughs> might be a little bit complicated. Yeah, there's definitely some flaws to that plan. <laughs> Although. Uh, the the pyromancers do take pretty good safety measures when it comes to storing and creating wildfire. I'm going to guess thousands of years of experience of them all getting burned to death has taught <laughs> yes. them to be careful. <laughs> that might have something to do with it. Yeah, trial and error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what they do is 
So they they create the wildfire. They're they're alchemists. I mean, sorry, their apprentice create the wildfire in a, an empty stone chamber, and above each stone chamber is a room full of sand with what the uh, with with what Helen calls a spell on the roof or the ceiling or floor, depending on which room you're in. And if something goes wrong with the uh, creation of the wildfire, the the ceiling collapses and dumps sand, fills the room below with sand. Of course, it also kills the careless alchemist, as uh, Tyrion points out. Probably the alchemist was in big trouble once <laughs> yes. the wildfire had started burning. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Probably not that bothered by the falling roof and ceiling and uh, sand. And Tyrion, of course, thinks that it's it's likely that when Helen says spell, what he really means is clever trick. And I, I think that's it's because Tyrion, his rational mind can't really accept the idea of spells, just like he couldn't believe that Mormont and the other members of the Night's Watch are guarding against anything but Grumpkin and, Grumpkins and Snarks yeah. at the wall. Of course, of course, Grumpkins and Snarks could just be like, you know, people who've evolved slightly differently, you know, sort of like right. uh, a race of smaller people or something like that. So, so they could be believable in that sense, but certainly a magic spell holding a ceiling in place does seem like I'd be sceptical too, especially when there are practical things that you could do to make that ceiling fall in the event of a horribly hot fire burning underneath it. For instance... Nothing at all. <laughs> it's just going to fall. <laughs> at some point, it's going to fall. <laughs> or, you know, a complicated system of, you know, wax-filled screws, you know, right. something like that. When the temperature <laughs> gets thinking, too hot. <laughs> just just a wooden ceiling would do it. <laughs> yes, there you go. That's the trick. Wooden ceiling. Wooden yeah. ceiling. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about magic and spells and stuff especially in Westeros, Miri Mazdor's blood magic in um, the Danny chapters in Essos are about as close as we get. But there are a few places in Westeros that are at least said to have spells that cast protection on them, such as the Wall is said to have spells to keep things like the Others out. And Storm's End is actually said to have a protection spell on it. So... Um, didn't really save Robert and Stannis and Renly's parents, did it? No, I guess they didn't make it inside. They had to make it inside. The I castle, see. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but apparently, they also didn't keep very good tabs on where the wildfire jars went during the sack of King's Landing. Which I have to say is distinctly at odds with the whole ceiling sand thing. You know, <laughs> right. that we're really super careful in the making of the wildfire, and then we lose two hundred bottles of it. <laughs> right. They they found two hundred bottles under the sept of Baylor just recently, um, which is a rather dangerous situation because, as Helen points out, they get more and more volatile, uh, fragile as they age. age. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But then he also, along the same lines, talking about during the sack of King's Landing, which was the end of. King Aerys reign he mentions that so many of the masters of their the um, pyromancer masters were murdered during the sack of King's Landing and he didn't go into much detail about that but it makes you wonder were they murdered for their part in the wildfire plot but did the wildfire plot come out well at the time no it didn't 
because it never, thankfully, never actually happened. Right. But I don't so... know if I don't know who all knew um, about it. I don't know how widespread the news was that there's yeah. wildfire hidden all over the place, and they're gonna it, blow yeah, the city. It's an interesting thought because because the sack of King's Landing was obviously a little bit out of control, courtesy of people like uh, Gregor Clegane. But right. it's not like the pyromancer's uh, uh, place is inside Nagos Holdfast. It's yes. in the city, but it's on a different hill. So it it does seem like they wouldn't be swept up in the random orgy of killing. That's what so I was getting they, at. If they were murdered, it would feel like it was intentional that they were yes. known to have been working for Ares, but That's exactly what I'm getting at there. Doesn't seem like they would be running around with swords trying to kill Lannister troops. So Right. Unless right. anyway. It does it does make you wonder what the I mean, I know the wildfire plot was to blow up all of King's Landing, right? Basically. Pretty much, yeah. Why not actually use it a little bit more specifically than that, you know? Have a little bit of it on hand to throw at anyone who comes at you. Yeah, like basically kind of like what Tyrion proposed here, but on a smaller scale. You mean like an individual right. scale. Right, yes. Have have your Kingsguard have a couple of flasks of it in convenient places sure. that they could use should... You know, of course, one of those kings God did turn out to be the guy who killed you, so that wouldn't have helped. <laughs> so that wouldn't help. <laughs> would would have actually given him an easier way to do it, I suppose. <laughs> Keep his sword cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so Helene is confident that he'll reach ten thousand jars as commissioned. Uh Tyrion thinks that only if the enemies give them enough time, but Renly does seem to be accommodating. Yeah, um, I mean, these Baratheon brothers are really making a mess of this whole thing. If they had acted in coordination and swiftly, King's Landing would have fallen, and there'd be plenty of men between the two of them to defend against anything Tywin can bring. So, and then yeah. you make you make concessions with Rob, or you deal with him one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, if, if Renly right. really is bringing 100,000, even 80,000, even 50,000 troops from the Reach and the Stormlands, and and uh, Stannis is pulling together a, a sizable sea, uh, what's it called? Navy. I mean, there's not much Rob could do at that point, you know? <laughs> sea army. Sea army, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so they're just, they're really making a mess of this. I blame it all on Renly primarily because he has... Yeah, Ren Renly's got... A, he, he has his fate in his own hands. Stan, Stannis is beholden to the fact that he doesn't have enough troops to do much yet. Right. Uh, yeah. But they could they could coordinate, and that's every bit as much Stannis' fault as Renly's. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Stannis is not going to be the one to, to go to Renly and say, hey, team up with me, because he's the, he's the rightful heir, and it should be his younger brother coming to him. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah. Helene says that um, Tyrion's the first hand of the king to visit um, the alchemist since Rossert. 
who was Aerys's last Hand of the King, who we've mentioned it before. He only lasted two weeks as Hand of the King. Yes. Uh, before the sack of King's Landing. But Rosset was a uh, an alchemist, right? He, they, right, uh, he was Helene the grandmaster men- of uh, Yeah, Helene mentions that he was uh, one of their own. So perhaps that's the connection. Perhaps that's why, because the Hand of the King was one, it was assumed that everybody in that order was loyal to yeah. Aerys. Right, that could be. Yeah. Now, uh, Rosset was... Uh, he succeeded Carlton Chesteld, who we mentioned uh, in that same Tyrion chapter, which I think was Tyrion one of Clash of Kings. The, he was burned alive by wildfire when he protested Ares' plot to destroy King's Landing via wildfire. So, uh, a lot of wildfire plots going yeah. on here. Yeah, the the more you hear about it, the more you realize how mad any such plot is, because the thing is desperately dangerous. Yes, but I guess I guess if your plan is to burn everything, then it's pretty useful for that. It's doing exactly what you want. If, I guess. if it goes if it goes wrong, it just happens too soon. Well. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was ten minutes earlier than I wanted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so we get more uh, we get more mob of small folk gathered at the gates of the Red Keep chanting for food, and of course our benevolent king, what does he do but launches arrows at them and kills four, and then shouts down that he gives them his leave to eat their dead. (laughs) So, not a great PR move, just more disastrous public relations for the royals. So you thought this was a separate incident than the one in the last Sansa chapter? I, I just assumed it was the same incident as the last Sansa chapter. I took it as a second one, yes. Okay. Because okay. the first one he wrote out. Uh, yes, I did think that. But then I thought perhaps they got to a certain distance and then shot arrows oh, from there. Yeah, could be. I, I took it as a separate incident, but um, it very well could have been the same. Either way, it wasn't a, wasn't a good move. Yeah. So... When he leaves the uh, alchemists, he sees Bran. Bran's come with messages. He's got two summons. One from, as he describes him, Ironhand, who is Sir Jessalyn Bywater, um, which, if you remember, he lost that hand in the Siege of Pike. Yep. And that's where he was knighted, right? It was Yes, he was knighted because of that. Yep. Because of that. And Cersei... Um, well, to be fair to Cersei, her summons was not a lot more... Uh, uh, peremptory than uh, Jaslyn Bywaters, but I guess Tyrion knew he wanted to go to Jaslyn Bywater. He certainly didn't want to go to Cersei, right. so he left her hanging. In fact, he didn't just leave her hanging, you know, because he said, "I want her angry and therefore stupid." He actually sends Bran back to tell her that he'll be there in his own good time, right. just to add to the anger. <laughs> I, if I were Bran, I'd be like, "It's going to cost you." <laughs> right? Yeah, if I'm going to have to deliver that to... message. <laughs> yeah. And we have seen examples of her getting angry and making stupid decisions, like how she lost her cool with Stannis's letter and wanted to have anyone who mentions the incestuous thing have their uh, tongues ripped out. So luckily, cooler heads prevailed there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might have worked. It's a, it's a, it's a big ask, you know, anyone yes. who says that. There'd be a lot of tongues floating around uh, the around <laughs> yeah. flea bottom, I guess. So, Tyrion meets up with uh, Justin Bywater, and he uh, introduces him to uh, Sir Cleos Frey. Sir Cleos Frey is 
a first cousin. No, is that right? Yeah, is she yeah. a first cousin of yep. Tyrion? He's a first cousin of Tyrion through uh, his mother, Jenna Lannister. Jenna Lannister being Tywin's sister. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the Riverlands are a mess. Um, not entirely surprisingly, uh, the river lords are burning their own crops. Apparently, but I'm I'm skeptical about that. I've, you know, the river lords might want to starve the Lannisters out, but the Lannisters seem to be burning the crops on their behalf anyway. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody's out there burning food. Winter is coming. <laughs> That's right. What do you need all that that harvest for? <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about the fact that that could be misinformation, because I was thinking that. That news, if if the uh, refugees get that news, they might be a little less one-sided in their views toward the Lannisters and the River Lords and probably just start to hate all Highborns equally if their own yeah. lords are burning their crops. But maybe the Lannisters are getting that misinformation out to try and cause yeah, a rift. And, and perhaps Sir is not actually intentionally spreading misinformation. He's just heading through the Riverlands, seeing the trouble... And just assuming it's not his side that's doing it. Oh, you know? yeah, it could be. Yeah, he might just be. Mis- and, but I'm sure Tyrion will run with it. I'm sure Tyrion will say, "Yes, that's right. That's what's happening." The River Lords right. are burning your food. That's why you've got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cleos presents the letter with Rob's demands. Tyrion looks at them and says that they're completely unacceptable. Of course. Cleos suggests that they exchange the Stark girls for his kid brother, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> you do remember that Jamie Lannister is a captive of the North. <laughs> right. I feel like your kid brother is not going to be high on the list of uh, important people to free. Imagine Tyrion coming to Cersei. We couldn't get Jamie, but we did get Tion Frey. <laughs> so, almost as good, right? <laughs> now, Tion uh, Frey is the third son of Emmon and Emmon Frey and Jenna Lannister. The other captive is. Willem Lannister, which is Kevin's second son, Lancel's younger brother. Uh, okay. Now, he is not to be confused with Cleos's second son, Willem Frey. There's a Willem Lannister and a Willem Frey. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And both, of, both them, of them. Yeah. Both Tion Frey and Willem Lannister were taken at the Whispering Woods, right? right. That's the, yes. Yeah. And Kat did point out that there was no way Cersei trades the Stark girls for a pair of cousins and clearly she was right i think we knew that going right. in though. <laughs> right well so cleos wasn't even bothered about the other cousin <laughs> oh no he did he did list them both didn't he he did list both cousins yeah i think so but yeah. uh cat we knew and cat mentioned that um these demands were too strong and cat suggested sweeter terms and rob said that these are as sweet as he could get just this was making him gag and that's when cat realized he wasn't out to actually get peace, he still wants vengeance, just like Rickard Karstark. So, yeah, yeah but, and, and it was Rickard. It was Rickard Karstark who was not very happy that this letter was sent. He yes. thought this was too much. Right, he stormed yeah. out. Wow, wow. Well, Rob yeah. was giving this proclamation of what the uh, concessions shall be. But Cleos mentions that the young wolf is idle at River Run in. He tells Tyrion he thinks it's because Rob fears his father Tywin. And a lot of it is that Rob is getting some conflicting counsel, in my opinion. He's got Edmure, who wants him to siege Harrenhal. Cat wants him to team up with Renly and have 
Renly attack King's Landing to draw Tywin out of Harrenhal and allow Rob to either face Tywin's army in the field or destroy Stafford's fledgling army at Lannisport without worrying about Tywin's army coming up behind them. And then Theon told his father in the Theon chapter that Rob plans to ride west to attack Lannisport and that Theon was going to get the Ironborn ships and attack from the sea. And... um but we've mentioned yeah. before that the sticking point there is getting past the Golden Tooth because it's yeah. very defensible and Rob would need to get past it in order to get to Lannisport. Yeah. I do think that Rob has allowed Cleos Frey to be misinformed and a little bit ignorant of what's going on. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't tell him everything, but I think that uh, clearly he's not just idle here yeah sure he might be facing some uncertainty but the the thing that the that cleos frey and the rest of the lannister side don't know is that rob is aware of the new army being built in uh, lannisport right and that makes a big difference you see because if you are unaware of that you can sit idle at river run and just hope that things change in the war somehow and then you'll have a you know an easy time of it if you know about that army then you've got to do something and so he's right. not just sitting idle he's just debating which action to take at this yes, point right it doesn't hurt there it doesn't hurt rob either it actually helps him that they don't know that he actually is oh, yeah. trying to come up with the best plan not just sitting there idle because he's afraid to move like cleos says he is yeah. Yeah. but Tyrion thinks that rob has given them a golden chance here and he says, let the boy wait at River Run, dreaming of an easy peace. So his plan is to keep the negotiations going, keep Rob holding tight, uh, you know, with these, giving him just enough of concessions to keep him thinking that they're progressing. But really what he plans to do is just give that other new Lannister army time to come up to speed, to speed and then he, that Lannister army will come from the west, Tywin's army will come from the east, and they will crush rob in the middle at river run so it seems that really uh, Tyrion has no interest in settling for peace it's just a means to improve the lannisters position in the war well i think the the thing is you're you're absolutely correct nothing you've said there is incorrect but the one thing he would sue for peace for is jamie but Jamie's the one thing that's scrupulously missing from the peace <laughs> yes. offer. Not even yeah. mentioned, I don't think, if I right. remember correctly. So, so, so the thing is, the next best thing for the Lannisters is that they do protract this, keeping this war quiet to give Tywin an opportunity to come south and help them deal with the Bar- Baratheon threats. Mm, yeah. And what once that's happened, then he could catch Rob between the hammer and anvil of the two Lannister armies. Sure, I see what you're saying. It it does seem like he's missing out on an opportunity to at least explore real peace. Without right, well, well, there you go. It's it's a two for one deal. You send back a thing that says we'll send you the Stark girls in return for Jaime Lannister. You can have the North, but we get the Riverlands back. You know. Something entirely unacceptable, but hey, if Rob really has grown tired of war and wants peace, he might come close to saying yes to it. Yeah. And you get exactly what you want then, you know? Yeah. It's highly unlikely, but that's the thing. Tyrion can't really lose. If it's highly unlikely and he says no, 
he's got to make a new offer, you know? Right, in which he's just stalling for time at that point. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if they did manage to at least make peace with Rob, then first of all, they could possibly get some refugees out of King's Landing if, if it's safe at all to return to the Riverlands. Food and shelter, of course, would still be a major issue. It's only not safe because of the Lannisters. Well, I mean, it's not safe because they've burned all their shelter in their food. So they still might... The Lannisters! Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely because of the Lannisters. <laughs> I just meant they might not be trying to actively kill them anymore, but they still might <laughs> right. starve to death or uh, die from exposure. <laughs> we promise not to kill you, but you've got nothing to look but forward to. But you also have no food either. But then, you know, you take care of the situation with Rob, then you're just down to dealing with the Baratheon brothers, you know, like yeah. reduce the amount of enemies you have to deal with at one time. It wouldn't be uh, a bad thing. Yeah. So then Tyrion has a smart idea at this point, I think. He he doesn't allow any of Cleos's party to enter the city. He doesn't want word of how bad the conditions are in King's Landing to reach Rob Stark's ear. Now, of course, you could tell Cleos not to say it, but if anyone in it, you know, loose lips sink ships. Right, um, yep. You want to try and keep that under wraps as much as possible. Yeah, you could definitely see if his enemies knew the powder keg that King's Landing is, they would absolutely try and exploit that which you could either attack quickly or try and cut off even more food getting into king's landing and or if you're renly just dawdle even more so (laughs) they get hungrier and hungrier (laughs) keep having tourneys and (laughs) and accepting fealty looks like a crossroads to me (laughs) set up the tournament (laughs) yeah uh, you know the Tyrion mentioned that much of the food is going to that to the garrison to feed their troops. If they start to starve, then it's even more dangerous for the Lannisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he re- he tells um, Cleos, I'm going to go talk to my sister, and we'll we'll work out something to send back, send you back to River Run with. And then, um, so on his way out, he stops and tells Sir Jocelyn Bywater his plan for the wildfire preparation, and so. He wants the men to start with green uh, pots filled with green paint. And then when they can do that without spilling any of the paint to graduate to lit lamp oil. And and so the, the plan is to launch wildfire from Spitfires. It seems like one of the primary defensive maneuvers he is preparing. A, a Spitfire being some kind of uh, catapult here. Yeah, some type of large shooting device. Right. <laughs> Which it's it certainly seems like a good use of wildfire in such a defense of the city you could seems like you could use it to attack both land and sea but you definitely want to be well practiced because one pot blows up in your hands it blows up the pot next to you and all the ones next to it (laughs) i also think the other reason that that's a good use of the wildfire is because it's throwing it away from the city as much as possible (laughs) and it would you know it work on uh, see, you know, work on ships and stuff because water doesn't uh, quench the uh, burning. Right, so the, 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 t- the surface of the sea could catch fire. I mean, obviously, yes. you aim at the ships, but if it hits the water, it still burns. Yeah. Right, yeah, so you don't even have to be completely sail accurate. into it. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it's surprising that there's been no mention of anyone else ever trying to use this tactic with wildfire. Like, to my knowledge, there maybe there is, I'm not aware of it, but it seems like it 
might be something worth trying. I, I, I can certainly see transportation being a problem because if you hit a, if you hit a bump in the road in your wagon full of wildfire, you could have a real mess. But they did manage to get wildfire all the way down to Summerhall when Aegon the Fifth uh, was uh, right, right, died uh, trying to uh, what we believe to be hatch a dragon egg, but. I think the Tyrells and the Red Wines certainly could have used some wildfire to end the siege at Storm's End a lot faster if they could have, would have just been launching wildfire into Storm's End. That's true. They would Stannis would have eaten it. <laughs> they would have roasted their rats over the flames. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Tyrion leaves uh, and heads back to to the castle to Mago's Keep. Um, he overhears a. He, he, his litter takes him past a preacher who's spreading, who's preaching, and he's preaching about uh, the child of incest on the throne. And but he's also bought into Baelish's lie right. about Shireen Baratheon because he says she she's the child of uh, highborn ladies fornicating with fools or something like that. Right, so, creating so, monstrous offspring or something along those right. lines. Right, right. So. Uh, kudos to Baelish. He got the word out and he got it into the minds of people who will spread it still further. Yeah. So, again, suddenly we've got an uh, equivalence where there is no equivalence. Right. Joffrey one is true. G- one is completely fabricated. <laughs> <laughs> but the people just are rebe- rebelling against all sort of authority at this point. Yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised at how in the know this guy was because... Uh, he knew both of those stories, the the incest story with the Lannisters and the Shireen being a product of Patchface and Selyse Florent or Selyse uh, Baratheon. But then he also knew that uh, about Robert's penchant for prostitutes and about the boar killing Robert. You, you wouldn't think, I mean, in this in this time period that those kind of details would would be widely spread because there's no real news source. So. A lot of those things you would learn in a brothel, so perhaps this is where he got it off. <laughs> Could be. Because <laughs> maybe he's frequented Chatias himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tyrion recalls a joke. Oh, uh, the other person that gets criticized by this preacher is the uh, the High Septon of yeah. the Faith of the Seven. Um, because uh, he criticizes the church, and, and that's an interesting one, because in earlier times, uh, the faith militant rose against the royals uh, when the royals tried to flout religious teachings for instance by having an incestuous relationship and a child thereof that's the kind of thing that would get the faith going a little bit and so this feels like a sort of schism in the faith between the people who are comfortably enshrined as high septon and positions of power and the true believers who think that we should fight against the uh, the royals who are uh, not worthy of it because they don't follow the codes of the religion. Right. Yeah. No, nobody was safe with this guy. He's even blasting his own brethren, technically. Right. By yeah. blasting the High Septon. Yeah. Tyrion, at that point, recalls a joke made by Moonboy. Uh, if you remember who Moonboy is, he's he was Robert's fool. But now he's moved into management because he has Sedantus under him. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad to, I'm glad to see he's still cracking a few jokes. That's, that's good. Uh, 
he he said the other day that the high septon is so pious that he eats seven meals every time he sits at table, which Tyrion <laughs> thought was funny at the time. So. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a, it, it's a good thing that Cersei didn't get her way of, with the whole ripping tongues out for mentioning that the king was a product of incest thing, because this guy would be in some uh, serious trouble here. But I, yeah. I did wonder if maybe this guy was moved to speak due to Joff's recent attacks on the starving small folk. Maybe it pushed him over the edge and he felt the need to start speaking out against the royals. That's a very good point, actually. That That, that is the kind of thing that will uh, foment unrest. Yeah. So Tyrion, so they, they finally, they move on past the preacher and um, Tyrion just... Even though he just listened to... Oh, and the guy also calls Tyrion a demon monkey. Demon monkey? Something. Yeah. A demon yes. monkey something or other. I can't remember the exact wording. Demon but, monkey is what it was. It yeah, was demon something monkey. along those lines. So, <laughs> but but as there as he rides on past him on his way to the Red Keep, he's actually more hopeful than he was when he woke up this morning. He, he figures he really just needs time to put all these pieces together and get the city properly uh, defended. And like we said earlier, his enemies are definitely doing their part to help him out there because, you know, the longer they wait, the more time to truly prepare and strategize that they're giving uh, Tyrion and to some degree Tywin as well. Something's just occurred to me, actually, the, the, the thousands of empty, uh, containers that he asked for from Helene he should he should also practice moving those up to the battlements to where the spitfires are it yes. should, should be the whole thing you know make yes, sure no, everyone can do every single part of this just yeah, so don't just drop them off at their final destination <laughs> right. the clumsy guy that carries the uh, wildfire up the stairs <laughs> he, he drops yeah. one <laughs> the guy who sp- the guy who spills the green paint is relegated to pushing the car full of them <laughs> Yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, also the you know, the hunger and the unrest that we're seeing in the city is just as big a danger as the enemies outside the walls if it gets too much worse here. So time isn't just from his enemies yeah. on the outside. He also needs to placate the half a million starving small folk as well. So something he needs to consider. Yeah. So Cersei's in the Tower of the Hand. Uh and I think she summoned him to her own quarters, so yes. she got impatient while he was gone. And uh, she's lucky he didn't go straight to her, of course, because then they would have missed each other. But right. he, he, being Tyrion, he thought he'd make her wait even longer by going to the Tower of the Hand, but he found her there. She is angry about the offer of Marcella to Dawn, uh, where she would be fostered by Dora Martell. Yeah, that's not a. Um, that's not one of the pl- plans we heard in the last chapter. Uh, we heard, and therefore Marcella. it must be the one that was in the letter. Yeah, right. We heard Marcella to the Vale to Erie to marry Robert, Aaron. And we heard Tommen to Dorn, but we never heard Marcella to Dorn. So that's okay. Why it has to have been Pycelle, because that must okay, have been the actual I... plan. <laughs> but the, but then, but then Pycelle didn't know. Well, he must have peeked at the letter, though. But remember, he came back, like, anxious to know what was in the letter. He did was he just acting? Anxious. That's a very good point. Yeah. He did come back anxious. You see, you see, 
I, the, when the plan was hatched, I was annoyed about that. I thought it was wrong. You had yeah, to you give did. him some clues as to what was in the letter. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe he totally looked at that. The thing is, what I would say is, this actually doesn't absolve Varys. Because Varys figured out that that's what was in the letter, if you remember. But he figured out, he was under the impression it was Tommen. That was but I thought it was both. I thought it was both. It was Marcella going to the Vale, Tommen going to oh. Dorne. I see. He'd he'd spied and got Baelish's news, and then figured out that it must be Tom and to the. I see. Okay, so I mean, obviously, Pycelle looked at the letter and then is a really good actor. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I would be doubly afraid of him. He's not only a spy for uh, Cersei, but he also can really act. He has various level uh, acting skills. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and of course, when he when Tyrion tells Cersei the rest of the offer, the stuff that Varys knew, she doesn't act like she knew that information already. So it seems like it must oh, have been yeah. only Pycelle, because maybe all three of them had gone to her and given her little bits, but it doesn't seem like she knew anything else except for the Marcella to Dorne yeah. part. So, but, but as we said at the time, her loyal subjects have a duty to tell her about plots yep i'm, I'm so, nodding over here yes that, that's <laughs> exact same thing i had is does he have an obligation to inform her of such news? she is the queen regent you know right. the hand can say don't tell anyone but technically i believe the queen regent trumps the hand of the king i, yeah. I guess it's a little bit muddled yeah but i guess he didn't have to look at the letter he yes. could have not looked at the letter and told Cersei, you know, Tyrion had me send an interesting-looking letter to uh, Prince Doran Martell. I don't know what was in it, but you might thought want I should inquire. let you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but Pycelle would have just outed himself here, though, because he'd have to know that Cersei is then going to take this information to Tyrion. So, right. so he, he basically. This, this is not like himself. breaking the. This is not like breaking the Enigma code where we pretend we don't have it for years and years. Right. Like, I'm going to tell you something, Cersei, but you can't act on it. Right? Yeah, that's not going to work. Straight round to the tower of the hand. <laughs> yeah. So T- Cersei's absolutely mortified. She thinks that Tyrion has offered way too much, uh, but Tyrion points out that Prince Doran has. Lots of reasons to hate the Lannisters, and therefore to get him on their side is going to take a lot. Yep. You can't offer him nothing and expect him to join with you, so the grand gestures are needed. So Marcella's hand to Tristan, which is, you know, I mean, that, that seals the two families together. Uh, yeah. Some castles. They're, uh, Tristan and Marcella, they're, uh, Tristan is 11, she's 9. They're a lot closer in age, and it's definitely a lot seems like anyway we don't know the martells yet but it seems like a lot better option than robert aaron yeah i mean that that one made me nervous (laughs) there's worse than robert aaron there's joffrey baratheon yes yes but those are two kind of extremes and if tristan is anywhere in between those two he's a million times better than either of them (laughs) right yes and we don't know uh what his mother may or may not be like but she can't be a whole lot worse than what oh, Liza God. Aaron would be like as yeah, a yeah. foster mother and then mother-in-law. So also some castles in the marches. So basically extending Dawn a little bit into sure. the yeah. Baratheon and uh, Tyrell te- territory. A seat on the small council and 
Elias Elia Martel's murderer, who we believe to be Gregor Clegane. Yes. With possibly Armory Lorch involved as well. But we're yeah, not... they haven't mentioned him, but you know, we have been led to believe that he was also involved in the murder right. of her and her children. Yeah. But yeah, Cersei's so... convinced this is just way too much. Yeah. But Tyrion, on the other hand, is concerned it might not be enough. Yeah, but but he reassures himself with the one thing that the, the, their beef with the Lannisters only goes back one generation, whereas the Martells have been fighting with the Baratheons and the Tyrells for thousands of years, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I I know what you're going to say because for me it's the same. What what you did to my ancestors, I can turn a blind eye yes. to. What you did to me, exactly. I remember. I remember yes. it, and it burns. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thousands of years of fighting over the Dornish marches. I mean, mar- Dornish marches definitely would ingr- have some ingrained bad blood, just like culturally. But it's been like a hundred years since there was any major conflict mm-hmm. between Dorn and uh, any of the other kingdoms. But he, th- this family murdered in cold blood his sister and his niece and nephew i mean that's that's definitely something yeah. that is personal that's a personal vendetta against a family so i feel like you'd need to factor that in oh yeah oh yeah 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 i'm i'm 100% with you here i think it's it's which is why tyrion needs to go big on this and and maybe this is big enough i mean i mean first of all the murderer Having the murderer's head on a plate is a big step, you know? And also, if I was Gregor Clegane reading this book, I would be like, well, that's not very nice, is it? I <laughs> did I've what done you for wanted. You. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking, good luck hand delivering the mountain to, <laughs> to Sunspear. I'm wondering how they pull that one off. I guess they send them there like, you know, we need you to do a mission in Sunspear. <laughs> what what you do is you say, his name is Gregor Clegane. He is yours. <laughs> Go find him. Do whatever you want. Good luck. Don't come to me crying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he says that uh, that Renly has taken the Martell's support for granted. And I wondered why, both why that is and why Tyrion believes that to be. Because both have to know the regional history between the two so you would think renly would have you know at least made some open some kind of communication with dorn if he thinks well, it's necessary maybe he doesn't even he, think they're necessary oh well i think i don't think the dawn is necessary to renly's ambitions it's an, it's necessary to renly's ambitions that dawn the dawn doesn't come down on the side of the lannisters yes but i think he right. thinks he's safe from that because of elia martel's murder. yes he yes. he's not even thinking that they would you, you couldn't offer them enough to t- make them turn to the lannisters side nothing at all Tyrion says i think otherwise there you go exactly yeah, I guess yeah. it's another example of Renly not really being suited for being a king because a king should be thinking, I need to make sure my enemy doesn't get any uh, other allies. But Tyrion doesn't know. It's quite possible, and in fact very sensible of Renly, to have sent an emissary to Dawn yes. to say, yes. look, I'm not going to ask you to come and fight for us. You guys got your own, you know, you've got the sunshine. You want to just <laughs> hang around here. That's fine. Totally get it. You stay out of it. I promise I will get rid of the Lannisters. And if I can, I'm going to find the murderer and send him your way. Yes, he should absolutely have done that. And we, and right, you're right. We, I don't know that Tyrion would know whether or not he's done that already. Right. 
He he yeah. would not. I feel confident. Syrian also argues that Marcella would be safer in Dawn than in King's Landing. That uh, the chances of her head ending up on a spike next to Cersei's are growing with every day. Yes. Um, whereas he's confident that the Martells wouldn't hurt her, and that you know, I mean, typically that's the way people behave here. They 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 take these wards hostages in and look after them. You know, like yeah. uh, the young Greyjoy at Winterfell. And uh, if he's confident that the Martells aren't going to hurt her. He's he's certainly right, I think. It is getting incredibly dangerous for the yeah. to be in King's Landing. And maybe Cersei, Cersei should consider getting both Marcella and Tommen out of town. She's got yeah. all three of her children in one uh, castle here that's surrounded by enemies and fi- uh, 500,000 hungry, scared, disgruntled small folk inside the walls. So Who we know have turned to cannibalism already. Courtesy of Joffrey. <laughs> because Joffrey said they could. Uh, then, So then Tyrion says that the Martells are likely to treat Marcella better than Joffrey treated Sansa. God, I'd hope so. Yeah. If, if, if I was Cersei, just hearing that thought would make me keep her at home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> could it be close? <laughs> but if, that... yeah, is it even close? <laughs> 10% she's not going. So Cersei cries at the mention of Marcella's head on a spike, which is truly startling to Tyrion. He can't, he doesn't, hasn't seen her cry since she was a child. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of first wondered if maybe she was using tears to play on his emotions to get what she wanted, but it doesn't seem so because she didn't really gain anything from it. Yeah. I think she was just truly that... scared for her kid's safety. And exactly. I, I, that's, that's how I saw that as well. But hey... I thought Pycelle hadn't read the letter. (laughs) (laughs) What do we know? (laughs) (laughs) So Tyrion Tyrion then describes to Cersei the state of the war, and he's pretty accurate with with it, but it's all basically his own guesswork and supposition, really. I mean, yes, he's got some new information from Cleos Frey and what have you, but there's... (laughs) There's a couple of things he says, which I'm not sure will work out exactly as he describes. He thinks that Harrenhal is sufficiently close to the Trident to prevent Rob and Roose Bolton from reuniting. Um, I think if Rob comes sweeping down from Riverrun, he sweeps everything out of his path to the walls of Harrenhal. Right. Yeah, nothing's going to put up a... Unless Tywin puts out a force to face him... Right, Nothing which is basically then him. you've taken away the advantage of Harrenhal because the whole point of Harrenhal is you hide behind those walls. Right. So I, I don't think Tyrion's right about that. I mean, it's a fair distance to the Trident. It's tens of miles. It's not right next door to Harrenhal. Right. So I, I, I'm not sure he's right about that. And he thinks, as we've said, that he thinks the current impasse is working for the Lannisters because of Stafford Lannister's growing army back at uh, Lannisport. Um, but he is unaware that Rob already knows about that, and so he's making his own plans. Right. So overall, I think he's got a pretty good uh, grasp of what's going on, but he is making some assumptions that I don't think quite hold up. I agree, yes. He does explain why it makes sense for Tywin to stay in Harrenhal versus coming to King's Landing, because he is close enough to protect King's Landing from Renly. And he's close enough to River Run to react to anything Rob does. But no matter which way Tywin moves, he puts himself in some trouble. Because if he moves towards King's Landing, then Roos and Rob can hook up and pin 
Tywin's army against Renly's army if Renly's coming up from the yeah. south and yeah. the walls of I guess they would just go into uh King's Landing at that point but if if he moves west towards Rob then Roos could come from the south and move in behind him and pin him between Rob and Roos yeah so although again I don't think Roos's Roos's army could be all that much now I mean it was only a f- a f- fraction Foot. of Rob's overall force and it was pretty badly decimated at the battle on the You're right. You're right. It was the bigger of the two chunks of army. Oh, it was bigger, was it? I thought it was smaller. It was the bigger portion, but it was all foot. All foot soldiers, that's right. Yeah. You're right. But w- what if Rob goes west, like Theon says, and then Roos brings troops across the twins to hold River Run? You know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tywin would be basically helpless to stop Rob's force marching on King's Land, uh, Castle Rock and Lannisport, or he'd have to come down the King's Road, take the Gold Road across to the west, which would take a really long time. So at that point, they might as well just move to King's Landing and hold that city for all it's worth. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's quite as rosy as um, Tyrion made it out, but he's also trying to console his sister a bit too. So. Right. I, but he, he is right that, that as long as Tywin stays put, he's within striking distance of helping King's Landing in need. But if he moves before he has to, then he invites exactly what you said, Rob and Roos to come and squeeze him from the north, which yeah. they can't do while he's holed up in Harrenhal. As soon as he leaves Harrenhal, they can do it. But if he can get a jump on them, he can come and help King's Landing at their moment of need. Yeah. I'm with you. So... Tyrion thinks that when Resley arrives, that's exactly what will happen. His father will shoot down the King's Road, hammer that, hammer Renly's force against the walls of King's Landing. Yeah, but looking at a map, the Rose Road meets King's Landing on the south side of the Blackwater Rush. So either army would need to ford the Blackwater Rush for them to meet up. I would assume that Renly would try to surround the city, though, to stop anyone escaping. But he'd still have to get across the river, though. Right, but he probably has... He's probably spent some of the time building his tournament uh, stadiums in pulling together enough materials to build a quick bridge. Right. (laughs) Yes. But, Uh, you know, if it came to a clash, even if if Tywin has 20,000, I mean... We don't know what Renly has, but estimates as high as 100, even if he's only got 50,000, that's a pretty formidable force. So that could be a, a problem here. Yeah, but, but a crowded 50,000 with blobs of flaming yes. uh, wildfire landing on you <laughs> could be quite a bad scene. Yes, that during, could be a During this whole scene, Cersei slaps Tyrion a couple of times, and he vows that she won't do that again. Cersei then threatens him a bit more sinisterly. Um, she says that he's only appointed Hand of the King by paper from her father, and Ned Stark had a piece of paper too. Yep. Uh, Tyrion reassures himself. He, he's got the gold cloaks, he's got his clansmen, he's got the sellswords that Bronn's hiring. But then he thinks to himself, well, Ned probably thought he was safe too. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a sobering well, thought there. Indeed. But the one thing that Tyrion has that Ned didn't have is that unlike ned he put his own man in charge of the gold cloaks so you know that that's one major difference is that uh ned just trusted that the commander of the gold cloaks was going to be honorable and uh trustworthy yeah background so as we learn in this chapter the alchemist guild is even older than the citadel of the maesters 
Although oddly, there's not much info about them prior to the Targaryen dynasty. However, there are alchemist guilds in Essos, so maybe they're counting those guilds in their years of existence. But uh, that being said, though, there's no mention of any association between the guilds in Essos with those on Westeros. So I'm not exactly sure how, how it all works out. But anyway, here's a few examples of the Targaryens using pyromancers. In his quest to conquer Dorne, Aegon IV Targaryen demanded that his pyromancers create dragons using those vast secret stores of knowledge that they claim to have. What the alchemists came up with were seven large contraptions that spewed jets of wildfire by way of pumps. It all ended in disaster, though, when one of the contraptions caught fire. It took out the other six, uh, along with a quarter of the Kingswood, which is where they were testing them. So that didn't work out so well. By the other way, King- testing, testing flying machines in a wood, especially flaming flying machines, <laughs> terrible, right. terrible idea. Good point. <laughs> Probably should have tried that somewhere a little less wooded. <laughs> but the Wright brothers went to Kitty Hawk, right? Yes. It was a big sandy flat area. <laughs> that seems like the better place for that kind of well, thing. Yeah. See, you should have been um you should have been a pyromancer. You would have uh, <laughs> steered them straight. Other kings have tried wildfire over the years. During the Great Spring sickness, Darren II's hand of the king, Brandon Rivers, had pyromancers gather the corpses of the dead in the dragon pit and burn them using wildfire. And as I think we've mentioned before, it's believed that pyromancers and wildfire played a part in Aegon V, otherwise known as Egg, in his death at Summerhall. Actually, we just mentioned that earlier. Uh, in, in what appears to have been an attempt to hatch some dragon eggs. His brother, Arian Brightflame, also died by drinking wildfire in an attempt to turn himself into a dragon. I know we've just mentioned that before. We have. And, I, and then, I always mention Arian Brightflame. <laughs> and then we get to Ares II, the Mad King. He developed quite the love affair with Wildfire and grew very close to his pyromancers. As far back as 282, King Ares gave the pyromancers the job of stopping winter. The plan they executed was to burn Wildfire along the walls of the Red Keep for a month. Doesn't seem like that would work, but in their defense... <laughs> would keep it warm? That, <laughs> the Red Keep might have felt like winter was over. Yeah. In their defense, though, we know that winter lasted into 282, but by 284 it was summer. So maybe it was their efforts that brought it to an end after all. Uh, yes. <laughs> Unlikely, but you never know. And uh, as Tyrion pointed out, Ares also used wildfire to burn his enemies alive, which is certainly a pastime that Joffrey would enjoy. Now, a few facts... The Alchemist Guild is led by a wisdom, which is what they refer to their full-fledged members of the uh, Alchemist Guild. Um, It's led by a wisdom known as the Grand Master. Now, the only specifically mentioned Grand Master is Rossart, although it does sound like Helin is a Grand Master as well because he seems to be the leader of this Alchemist Guild, which is what makes a Grand Master. And unlike their rivals, the Maesters, Members of the Alchemist Guild apparently don't take a vow of celibacy because, as Helen mentions in this chapter, his father and his grandfather were both pyromancers. Well, if they take it, they don't take it very seriously. <laughs> right. It's just a thing they say. <laughs> so, comparison with the television show, Tyrion learns of the wildfire from Lancel Lannister, who Tyrion is coercing into being a spy for him with Cersei. 
So basically, Cersei cooked up the plan with Helene to make all of these uh, wildfire, but she didn't tell Tyrion about it, and he got that information from Lancel Lannister. The scene with Helene is pretty similar, although Bronn is present, giving snarky comments about charlatans trying to sell super weapons to armies. Helene gives as good as he gets. Uh, both Tyrion and Bronn are pretty awed by the sight of 7,000 plus pots of it. There's no mention of aging wildfire, uh, nor of caches showing up randomly around the city, nor of Tyrion taking empty jars for training. Bronn and Tyrion are walking leisurely through the city when they hear the preacher. There seems to be quite a lot of commerce and activity around them, which is a bit out of step with the book, I think, that people yeah. seem to be buying and selling things. Right. Uh, the scene with Cersei precedes these other scenes, rather than coming after them, okay. and contains some future spoilers, uh, which I won't mention. But weirdly, she relegates the kidnap of her daughter to Dawn to like third on her agenda, which seems like it would be the first thing she would talk about. Which uh, she did in the book, right. Yeah. Uh, she's not that mad and does not cry. Uh, instead, she drinks rather too much, more than Tyrion does, in fact, huh. which is a slight deviation. One way. Uh, yeah. uh, by the way, um, Helen in the TV show is played by none other than Roy Detrice, the Oh, really? The uh, guy voice. who voices yeah. the audiobooks? Huh, Does the audiobooks, right. Um, pedantry. Um, why send Sir Cleos to King's Landing? The more, the, as soon as he arrived, I was like, why did you send him to King's Landing? Why not just send him to Harrenhal? You've <laughs> literally walked past the organ grinder to go talk to the monkeys. <laughs> Tywin Lannister, that. a demon monkey. Tywin Lannister is in charge, and Cleos nearly got killed trying to take this message past where it needed to go to. Could have been done so much faster, too. <laughs> right, and 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 that's the thing. The Lannisters are loving this delay. It's helping them no end. That's yes, lots of delays, and it's all yeah. helping the Lannisters, who are so precariously situated. Uh huh. Yeah, good that's point. My, good. That's my I like that penetration. Yeah. Uh, news and notes. Sorry. News and notes. Uh, well, I don't have any news, but I do have a note that I came across. Uh, in 2011, Roy Detrice set a world record for most character voices in an audiobook for his work on A Game of Thrones. Do you know <laughs> what? I think the one he did best was probably um, the Pyromancer Helene. I bet he nailed that one. <laughs> Was Helen in the first book? I can't recall if he... Oh, was it just for the first book? Uh... It's just for the first book, yes. Uh... I can't he wasn't. You're right. Helene was uh, In the second, in this one now, um, in Clash of Kings, I'm sure it is, it is definitely the best voice that he does. Any guess on how many voices, distinct individual voices he did in A Game of Thrones? I think this must have been in the notes earlier and you've taken it out to make this a game because I have a feeling I know the answer. Okay, let's see. I uh, I might have. I'm going to say 75. No, you definitely uh, underestimate the capabilities oh, really? of one Roy Detrice. 224 voices. Two, oh, of course, because he has to do every minor character. It's not like... Yes, yes. Oh, anyone wow. that speaks, anyone that has a line. 224. Yeah. I wonder if he had like a color coding for them. He must. He must have... Some way of keeping it straight in his head, because that's insane amount of voices to keep right. Yeah. What does this one sound like? <laughs> this one sounds like a 
Geordie Bricklayer. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I as I learned this, you know, I've always had a little issue with his sometimes, which I do it all the time, so I can't very well criticize him for it, but I'm also not getting paid, so. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, he sometimes mis- mispronounces names in, uh, in such things, and um, that can be a little distracting at times. Is, is it mispronunciation or is it just a pronunciation you don't agree with? Both. Sometimes, I swear sometimes he calls Joffrey Jeffrey oh. on occasion. But he also uses pronunciations like um, Peter Baelish is Pitar. Pitire. Pitire yeah. Baelish. Oh, Pitire. Yes. That actually makes a bit more sense than Pitar. Pitire. Anyway, you want to read the uh, review? No, you can read the review this time. All right. Well... Our review is from Super Pickalord. Super Pickalord, I think, from Apple Podcast Latvia. And uh, it's titled Amazing Podcast. So that's good. Uh, a very good podcast. Amazing hosts and very useful for reading through A Song of Ice and Fire. And the witty banter is hilarious. Oh, thank you. That's very <laughs> At least nice. one person feels that way. <laughs> All right, let's conclude because we're way over time. The... Yes. Uh, Wildfire plan is a good one uh, if they can avoid burning down the city in the process. Yeah. It's also a good plan to keep Joffrey away from the wildfire. Very much so. Very much so. I might give him a thimble every Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be burnt hair carcasses galore. (laughs) I I might not be able to shoot that one with a crossbow, but dang it, I can catch it on fire. (laughs) I missed with the crossbow, but it was dipped in wildfire. Now the whole lawn is a (laughs) blur. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's good that Tyrion made the the trip to check on the wildfire situation because, you know, he might yeah. have hatched and a plan some, here. Some credit to Cersei here; she hatched this plan. Tyrion's taking taking over this plan. Now his plan does add a few safety measures, such as practice. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she did start the ball rolling, and and if she had not started the ball rolling, there wouldn't be seven thousand jars of it ready to go. Yeah, that's a good point. They'd only have the 4,000 from... Uh, All of which from... were volatile and dangerous. Yes. <laughs> Keep those for backup. Yeah. Uh, King's Landing is a powder keg. It's getting more and more unstable, not just because of the wildfire. Uh, Joffrey killing and taunting the starving people is not helping. No. Prophet speakingly open against, openly against the royals and the faith in the streets. Yeah, it's, it's turning into a real situation. Uh, yeah. Not good, definitely not good. Yeah, but and increasingly dangerous too. Increasingly dangerous yes. that 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 unrest might spill into open a rebellion against right. the royals. Feels it feels like that that's definite possibility here. Yeah, but but Tyrion thinks he just needs time, and his enemies are doing their best to oblige. Yeah, now, thank you, Renly. He he might not he might get the time from his enemies. I'm not sure he's going to get the time from the half a million small folk who are. Uh, starting to really bubble up here inside the walls, but his yes, his enemies they are running they back. are running out of time. Yes, 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 they are. Yeah, um, he seems happy to not actually really sue for peace, just to keep the peace negotiations going long enough that the Lannisters can regroup and win the war. Basically, yeah, he doesn't seem to really see this as yes. I we all knew that these peace terms that Rob. Uh, sent were not acceptable but at least it was a starting overture he's not looking at it that way so much as i'm just going to keep him 
keep him hoping that we're going to reach peace. Really, I'm just giving my my side more time to get prepared. But then Tyrion also knows what we had already known, and that's Pycelle is Cersei's man. Yeah. But he didn't really do that much wrong. He no. May have, he may have sneaked a peek at a letter, but he did provide information that the Queen Regent should have known about to the Queen Regent. Yes, I agree with that. And the plan to marry Marcella to Tristane makes sense. It does. And we, yeah. No, yeah. We haven't met the Martell family yet, like I said earlier, but we do know the Aarons. And um, not only is he closer in age, Tristane, to Marcella, but his mother might not be a raving unhinged loon. So <laughs> Yes, <laughs> might not be. <laughs> and it's, it's a major olive branch uh, to turn the royal princess over to their care and family. And if Gregor gets hand-delivered for vengeance purposes, that might seal the deal. Yeah, good luck hand-delivering the mountain. Yeah. As always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Ghost Harrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Discord. And if you wouldn't mind going out and leaving us a five-star rate and or a glowing review, we certainly would appreciate that, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We're really trying to grow our presence there. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please just take a second and swipe over to five stars. We'd greatly appreciate that. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we'd appreciate that as well. And hey, if you leave us a review, we might read it on a future episode. We surely will. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye.